going to be ending our study this morning on the book of Daniel. And we have taken a look at the fact that Daniel has told us that we live as foreigners and aliens in a strange kingdom that is not ours, but that there will one day be a kingdom that we are citizens of and that we, that that kingdom will last forever and ever. And he has told us the future for us, which is history, mostly of the various kings and kingdoms of Persia and Babylon and the Medo-Persian empire and, and the Greeks and et cetera, et cetera. And then he is going to conclude with some final interpretations of visions and some discussions with, with angelic messengers. And it ends, if you will, both in the sense of awe in the terrible things that will happen, but then also in the sense of great hope of the things that will happen. Now, what is particularly great for me this morning is we're going to be talking about a subject that about the only time I ever talk about this subject, either a friend or a family member is laying here. And it's much better to have this teaching when there isn't the grief and the suffering by those who have lost a friend or a loved one. And so uh, hopefully this will be a little more um, understandable because we're not clouded by the loss. And so we're going to repeat the first verse of chapter 12 of Daniel, which says this. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And that all the peoples, everyone who is found written in the book of life will be rescued. And so there is, as we shared last time, the sense of, well, things have been bad throughout the history of people. I mean, even in the 20th century, it was really bad with the Holocaust and the deaths of millions and tens of millions of people through uh, Stalin and Pol Pot and Hitler, and you named all the, the great, terrible things that happened. And this seems, it says that it's even going to be worse than that. But it does offer a little bit of hope in the sense of, but your people will be rescued. But then here's the great hope, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but to others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So there is, if you will, a resurrection. But there's a resurrection that Daniel tells us that happens for everyone. It depends, though, on who you are, what that resurrection will look like based on what God has done. So there will be many, not everybody, not all, but many will arise from the dust of the ground to everlasting life. And that's the one we want to concentrate on because 
That's the hope that we have because of our faith. But there is those who will arise from the dust of the ground to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There are a whole lot of people who will tell you that hell doesn't exist or that they will tell you that there is, that it's not eternal, that you just are thrown there and poof, you're burned up and everything is fine and whatever. But that's not the teachings of the scriptures. The teachings of the scriptures are that those who fall in that category are there to disgrace and everlasting, not partial, not part of the time, contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of the heaven, and those who lead many to righteous like the stars forever and ever. So he's saying, but those who, who arise to everlasting life, they're those who, who have led people to righteousness are going to shine like the stars. That there is, and if you will, a reward system built in by what you have done in this life. Now, my motivation and my hope and my goal, and, and Lord knows, and the Lord does know, but at this point I don't, um, but I do know I have failed him miserably. But my goal, my desire, is not necessarily shine brightly, but to hear the words, well done, good and faithful slave. If I get there, I'll take the shining out to whatever, but that's my initial goal, just well done. And so now I want us to take a look at some New Testament scriptures because Daniel is going to share some things and I think this will help. So one of the chapters I want to share is one that I frequently share during a memorial surface. Um, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. No, I'm sorry. Let's go to John, what Jesus says first. Because Jesus is going to take up on this. In chap John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, it says this. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Doesn't say some, doesn't say all will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So Jesus' teaching says there will be a resurrection of everyone. But there will be two types of resurrection, those of faith and those not of faith. So Jesus confirms what Daniel has told us, and Daniel has told us based on what the angelic messenger has said. And so, in my view, the scriptures are reliable. But when Jesus says something, you can count on it. And so... We're told a little more about this by Paul. So in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to do a lot of it, but not all of it. 
He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The important aspect here of righteousness is believing that Jesus raised from the dead, and that is now your identification. He's your Lord, your Savior, and that's what saves you. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Not only did Christ die according to the Scriptures, but he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. As we shared, the anti-Messiah will suffer a head wound, but he won't, and he'll keep going, but he didn't die for our sins. He just simply died and rose again. And that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remained until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the, the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul tells us this resurrection starts because of the resurrection of Jesus. And that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, and there are eyewitnesses, and these eyewitnesses saw him on numerous occasions. And so while we walk by faith and not by sight, we don't walk in ignorance. The resurrection of Jesus is a fact. It is not something we believe and hope to be true. Paul will make it abundantly clear. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our sins are still ours and we believe in vain. And so the beginning of this resurrection is because of Christ. And then he says this in verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then the end comes when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also subject to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be in all in all. Now what does that say? Simply this, that because we are a part of a fallen race, because Adam sinned, he died, and we all die. But because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have an eternal life. However, it comes at an order. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the beginning. And then the harvest comes, and we will be 
raised from the dead. And so many times we get very anxious and we say, well, why doesn't he come? Hurry up. I can't wait. And we see the misery and pain and suffering of people. And we wonder, why doesn't he just hurry? Maybe because everyone who is to be raised to eternal life or everyone who is subject to eternal life is not there yet. And so he is patiently waiting for those to come to him. And while we may think he is delaying, and why doesn't he hurry up? Because of his love for them, he is patient. And if he loves them, then we also ought to love him and be patient. But it also says that at this point, there's things, and that Christ is going to put everything under subjection to him. And then Christ is going to take all that he has ruled and reigned and give it to God the Father. And then we'll move on to verse 35. But some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? And then he's really um, politically correct. You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. He's saying, let's take a look at normal life. You're asking, well, what kind of body and, and whatever? And he's saying, well, let's look at life. You take a piece of wheat or you take an apple seed. I mean, let's take an apple seed. Because most of you, have, the only the idea of fruit that you, uh, wheat you know is, is white bread that we get at the store. So let's take an apple seed, a really small little apple seed. You plant that in the ground, and after a number of years, you get an apple tree. You don't get more apple seeds. The whole point isn't to, bear, is to plant the seed to get more seeds. It's to get an apple tree to get more apples. So Paul is saying, when this body is placed in the ground, when it dies, it doesn't come back the same way or identical to it. It comes back differently, better. But God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in glory. He's saying the human body, this fleshly body, has its purpose and it can glorify God but it doesn't glorify God the same way as other things glorify God. Even fish and trees and animals give glory to God. Even the rocks will cry out if we don't to give glory 
to God. So there, and he's saying, just as you look in the heavens, some stars will be brighter than others. Now we know the reason that some stars are brighter than others is because they're farther away. But we also know that some stars are much bigger than other stars. They have different glory. And if you've uh, heard uh, Louis, Louis Giglio's uh, uh, discussion on the earth being a golf ball and the various things, it talks about Betelgeuse and, and the dog stars and all these massively huge stars. All of these stars have different glory because of different size. They just, ref- they just shine differently based on the distance we are from them. So he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is sown because it is subject to weakness and death and sickness and injury and disease and suffering and shame and all those things. It is perishable. Science so desperately wants us to live forever. And the problem is, as long as we have the bodies we have, it's just going to wear out. It's perishable. Not canned goods. But it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. He's saying, if you have a body, and if there's this resurrection to those who are believers, the body will be different. We kind of get a clue how different it will be when Jesus rose from the dead. Before he rose from the dead, he had an earthly body. You didn't see him walking through walls. He did so after the resurrection. His body was different. And the scripture says that we will be like him. Skipping to verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise imperishable, and we will be changed. And then he goes on and says, we will no longer be perishable, but we'll be imperishable. This body will be, and the time that it takes for this to accomplish is in the twinkling of an eye. And Paul tells us, some people will change as they sleep. Now, he doesn't mean people in the pews sleeping during the, the, the sermon. And he's not talking about sleep in the sense of, oh, I don't want to be harsh and, and say death because that just messes people up. The reason he uses sleep because Paul knows that the body is just simply resting, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which means you're not dead. 
which means you're still aware. And so the body is resting. So he uses the word sleep because he wants you to understand that death is not the final end of things. But you, we will not all sleep, which means to have this body changed, you don't have to wait to die. We just have to wait for Jesus to come. But then he says in verse 54, but when this perishable will put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death is not the end. It's just a resting point. And death does not defeat the believer. Because God is victorious and he's given us the victory in Christ. And so Daniel in his discussion tells us that there is a resurrection to those to eternal glory and to those of disgrace and contempt. Paul is concentrating on the believer because he's concentrating on the positive. He wants you to know, believer, where what's going to happen when we sleep. And he wants the non-believer to understand the alternative. And then the last Scripture I'd like to share before we go back to Daniel. Again, we use frequently in memorial services, in which is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Now, I say this during uh, memorial services or funeral services, and I'm going to say it again. The scriptures do not tell us not to grieve. Death causes a separation. We are happy and blessed to know that our loved ones and our friends and our relatives who are believers, when we say goodbye, we're not saying goodbye. We're just saying, I'll see you later. But there still is a separation. Much like, if you will, when a child grows up and goes off to college. Some parents are looking forward to that day. Some parents kind of dread it because they, they want to be close to their children. It's not that you're not happy that the children are growing up and becoming independent. It's that now there's that separation. And that's kind of what death does. It causes separation. So it doesn't say that we're to grieve as the rest who have no hope. Because we have a hope. Or if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. There's the key. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Jesus. Everyone. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. In essence, Paul is saying, I'm quoting Jesus here. 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's saying the difference between the living believer and the, the believer who's asleep, the believer who's asleep gets a head start. And that's a minimum of six feet. Maybe more, but I know it's not less. So those who died in Christ first, and then those who are alive. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet or shofar of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. It's not a just one time reunion and then we all go our way. We will always be with the Lord. And always be with those who are believers. To those of eternal glory. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Daniel tells us there are two destinations. Destination of glory. We are told by Jesus and by Paul and others how to be on that path. But there is a destination for those who reject Christ as Lord. And as that should motivate us to be witnesses for him. For you see, if there is a resurrection of the dead, and there is. And there is a resurrection for those who are believers, and there is also a resurrection for those who aren't. Then to keep to yourself the good news is the greatest act of hate I can think of. But they may laugh. But they may scorn me. But they may no longer be my friend. What kind of friend are you? If because of your embarrassment or afraid of loss of friendship, allow your friend not to hear good news. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now back to Daniel. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now most people interpreting that in essence say, well, much of what's happening in Daniel is kind of concealed and we don't know what's going on, but as the end times come more and more knowledge and we'll get, and then communi uh, communication and transportation will be faster and faster. And that's possible or a second possible view of this is that to conceal the words doesn't mean to hide them, but it means to, roll them up in a scroll to confirm them that others will have a difficulty understanding, but there will come a time towards the end 
where people will go back and forth to words and they will start to understand better. And I think that's kind of where we are, that people are starting to understand the book of Daniel more than they did just a few years or a few centuries ago because we see God at work. And also because Daniel didn't have the benefit of the writings of Paul or the writings of Peter or the revelation of Jesus to John in the book we call Revelation. Our knowledge goes further and further because of those who have explained the resurrection. Daniel gave us a glimpse of it and told us there's two. Paul has told us more about what it's like. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on the banks of the river and the other on the other bank of the river. So you got two guys on each side of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, as he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a times, times, and a half times. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. So two guys, apparently two angelic beings, because they're dressed in linen, are having a conversation over a river. And one's asking, well, you've got more information than I do about what God's plan is. What is it? How long will it take? When will it be? And the one who has the message swears, not by just raising his right hand, but raising both hands, saying, after the shattering of the holy people. It's not good news for us. As for me, I heard, but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? So he's hearing this conversation, but he's not quite understanding the conversation. So he asked the one closest to him. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Again, it's like being scrolled up and then sealed to confirm the authenticity. And back in these days, frequently what would happen would, if like, for instance, the king gave an order, it would be written down and then sealed up and placed in a safe place to confirm, and then other copies would be given so you knew what it was. But if you disputed what it was, you always had the original. So it's been sealed up so that we know that it is true. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. Daniel keeps going back and back and saying, it's going to be tough for the believer. We're going to be purged. We're going to be purified and refined. Now, I'm not a goldsmith or a silversmith or whatever, but I know a little bit. And I know in order to refine gold, you got to heat it a whole lot. To refine silver, you got to heat it a whole lot. To refine God's people, you got to heat it even more 
a whole lot because our hearts are hard. But he is refining us. Remember, the scripture says that we are his workmanship. God is the one who's refining us. God is the one who's purifying us. God is the one who is making sure that we are usable for him. And heat isn't pleasant at that level. But it requires that for refining and purifying. But the wicked will act wickedly. You see, they won't change. The people of God, when they're refined, will be refined. They'll be purer and more usable for God. But the wicked will just go on being wicked. So when we look at the world today and we say, I just don't understand why they do the things that they do, is because they don't understand. They just keep doing the things that they do. I share this fable because it's my favorite, and I guess it's because it's reflective of people. And if you heard it, don't stop me because I like to tell it. It's the one about the scorpion and the beaver. The scorpion says, I need to go across the, the river. Will you take me? And the beaver goes, no, because you'll sting me. And he goes, no, I won't. And he says, carry me across the river. And he goes, no, no, you'll sting me and, and, and I'll die. And the, the, he goes, wait a minute, but if I sting you, then you'll drown and I'll drown and that doesn't make any sense. And so it sounds very logical. So the beaver says, okay, climb aboard. And they start swimming across and halfway over the river, the scorpion stings the beaver. The beaver starts to be by paralysis in the sink. And the beaver goes, why did you sting me? Now we're both going to drown. And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion, that's what I do. The heart of man is always wicked. That's just who we are. It's not until God changes our heart that makes us different. So the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. You see, your great arguments will never convince anybody that they ought to be a believer. Because they won't understand. The only hope you have for somebody to change is that God changes them. We give information. God changes hearts. And so don't be frustrated when you share or people say, well, I'd like to be a believer, but whatever. That shouldn't confuse us. Because they don't understand. But those who have insight will understand. The one that God calls it by his spirit will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. So he's at finally saying, 
Okay, when all of this terrible stuff happens and the Antichrist and he starts doing all these things and we're suffering and the times are worse than they've ever been, there's going to be these 1,290 days, three and a half years. Remember that. And the countdown is from the sacrifices abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up. That's the countdown. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attends to the 1,335 days. 45 days later. A month and a half. God gives us a clue and says, it's going to be really bad. It's going to be really bad for three and a half years. Hang on 45 more days. Hang on, 45 more days. Kind of look at it like the opposite of Christmas, if you will. We all kind of mark off how, especially when we're children, can't wait for Christmas to be there. Well, when we see this thing, start marking it off because you know 45 more days and it's over. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into the rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. You see, what Daniel was taught was interesting. And talking about the resurrection is interesting. And we can debate what kind of body we're going to have and, and, and not be so PC and say, you're foolish for not understanding. And we can say, isn't it going to be awesome and whatever. But as long as it's just theological, that's one thing. But now it's personal for Daniel. Because he's been told, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. But you're going to enter into rest. And then you're going to rise again. It's not just theoretical. It's not just theological. It is personal. That is why the discussion in with Jesus and discussion with Paul in Corinthians and in Thessalonians. It's personal. We're discussing something that not is just going to happen to the world, but to you and me. And that he will rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. There is a reward that Daniel is going to receive for being Daniel, for being faithful for being in the lion's den and trusting God, for helping the friends out to be promoted, for praying that God would do what God would do, for being concerned for his people, for being all that Daniel is. There is a reward that Daniel will receive. Here's a little clue. Daniel isn't alone. Each of us will receive something from God. Paul tells us that there is a beam of seat for those of us who are believers. And there will be rewarded for the things that we did good and for the things that we did bad. And some of the things that we did good, we won't be benefited for and be surprised by and go, well, how was that? Because sometimes we do things to be recognized by other people. 
And when we're recognized by other people, we got what we wanted. Recognition. You got your reward. But when you love those who can't love you back, when you give to those who can't give to you back, when you're faithful when everybody else isn't, that's when God rewards. And reward in the similar with gold and silver and some of our works is wood, hay, and straw, and they all suffer loss. Again, I will share this I've shared before. We all want to live in a really nice place. We all want to live in exclusive zip code areas, expensive places. My wife would love to live by the, by the ocean. She should have married somebody else. As best she gets for me is I, I get a, a parking pass and we go there and we walk a little bit. But most people would love to live by the ocean or whatever. And, we, and there's those exclusive neighborhoods. And we strive for that. But when it comes to heaven, it just seems we just want to be there. Now, again, heaven is like other real estate. It's location, location, location. But there seems to be a place for those who are faithful to God during the tribulation, and they seem to hang out much closer to the temple, that there is a blessing for being faithful in the great tribulation, which means that that's probably the better area to be. You know, I laugh and joke, but not so much that during the millennial reign, I'll get Bakersfield. And others will get other nice areas. And yes, I would rather serve God in Bakersfield than be raised to disgrace and condemnation. But Paul says, if we're going to run this race, why don't we run it to win it? Why don't we you know, just say, I gave everything that I could to God. He doesn't need it. It won't benefit him. But I want to show him that I love him so much that he's worthy of that. how different this community would be. How different would this world be if we decided that we would risk it all and devote 100% of our energies and purpose to Him. I understand we got to work to eat, we got to do those things. I'm not saying that. But even at work, there are ways to glorify Him. But you don't understand, Pastor, if I say something about God, they'll fire me or write me up or whatever. You don't have to say a word about God to reflect His glory. The moon doesn't have to say a word to reflect the sun. It just does. And it reflects the sun more when the earth is out of the way. Similarly, we can reflect God's glory more. We just get out of the way and get 
our desire for the world out of the way. So what I want you to take away from this message is everyone will be raised from the dead. Those of you who are listening to me, at least who are in my presence, pretty much confident you're believers and praise God. You're going to raise at the coming of Jesus. But whatever the Malibu or Beverly Hills of heaven is, I think it'd be awesome if we all lived there. And all God's people said,